Hey gang, happy Friday. It is Friday, May the 10th, 2019. Welcome to Sidebar with John Duran. I just love listening to Yaz sing Don't Go. I was rocking out in the studio waiting to come on the air. And I thought my young Jason, my young millennial, would not have heard the song. But he heard it. He knew the song. Yeah, I've heard of it before. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those old people songs. I'm sure you were thinking back from the 80s. <laughs> no matter what generation you're from, you could always jam out to this song. And that was an awesome song. All right, so tell, let me tell you the lineup for today because we've got a few a very interesting guests coming on. My first guest is a Jungian psychologist, uh, Mr. I'm sorry, Mr. Doctor, Dr. Don Kill Hefner. And if you don't know who Don Kill Hefner was, let me just tell you, Harry Hay, Don Kill Hefner and Morris Kite started the Radical Fairies in the 1950s. Uh, this was the organization that preceded the Mattachine Society, which was the very first gay organization in the world. And he's still alive and he's around. And he's a psychiatrist, and um, he's got to be, I'm not going to ask him his age. That's rude to ask a, either a lady or a gay man his age. Uh, but I believe he's got to be in his 80s. He's got to be an octogenarian at this point. And uh, one of the founders of the modern uh, LGBT rights movement, Dr. Ton, Don Kilhefner. And he's got, you know, when you start an organization called the Radical Fairies, <laughs> you know that he is way out on the left. Uh, and he, very proudly so, he would probably say. And um, in 1950s, of course, there was a huge push in this country against communist and socialist. And uh, a lot of the very early parts of the LGBT movement were actually rooted in some of that uh, ideology um, and around communitarianism and socialism. And so I'm just glad Don's here. He said, yes, he'd come on the show. And um, he's an author. He was written many, many books and he writes many, many articles. And um, uh, you're just in for a treat. So we're going to start with uh, an elder in the LGBT community, Dr. Don Kilhefner, be up first. And then following him, uh, we're going to have a call in uh, from Rand Martin up in Sacramento, California. Rand, amazing guy, uh, was... Um, the ex executive director of the Life AIDS Lobby in the 1980s, when HIV and AIDS hit this nation, um, Rand became the chief lobbyist on HIV. He actually came out of the uh, disabilities community, uh, where he had been a lobbyist for people with disabilities, and the AIDS epidemic hit, and he uh, ended up transitioning over to manage the politics and the lawmaking around this new disease that so devastatingly impacted uh, the gay community. And um, for, he was in the center of the fight when it was just not pretty. Because you, if you want to talk about a toxic brew, uh, mixed together disease, uh, death and dying, uh, the radical right, uh, a new LGBT floundering community, uh, religion, fundamentalism, and public health. And just mix that all together and see what turns out. It was not fun. And uh, he was in the center of the storm. And uh, I, he agreed to call in this morning from Sacramento. He still works up in Sacramento. So we're going to start with uh, an elder, and then we're going to go middle-aged. And then we're going to end up with a, a young millennial. 
Um, actually, I'm, he may just be on the other side of Millennial now. But Paolo Morillo, um, Paolo is now the editor of WeHo Times. Um, but uh, when I first met him, he was a columnist, a young columnist. I think he was all of either 19 or 20 years old when he started writing. And he wrote from a firsthand experience about his personal experiences of being a club kid in the LGBT community. And um, then he went on to he, – he's really smart. He's smart Latino, really smart guy, and um, had a battle – uh, with uh, addiction, came out of that battle, has some long-term sobriety under his belt now, and has moved up to actually create uh, an online publication called the WeHo Times, where he serves as publisher and editor. And um, he's going to come on and talk about his transition from club kid to uh, to addiction and recovery to uh, the work that he's out there pushing, uh, especially around uh, some of the fentanyl-laden um, cocaine and meth that is so uh, devastatingly causing all these overdoses in uh, the gay community. So um, anyway, that's going to be our lineup. Today it's all about uh, generations. We're going to start with an octogenarian and then a uh, middle-aged dude uh, and then finish out with a millennial and um, talking about LGBT issues across the generational span. So that's what we're doing today. And um, meanwhile, back on the ranch, if you haven't been paying attention to national and international politics, the world is just falling apart, gang. That's another way to put it. Uh, internationally, we are in crisis after crisis. You know that, that book that was written, Everything Donald Trump Touches Dies? It is so true. We uh, North Korea is sending missiles out uh, across the sea, threatening Japan and South Korea, and Trump, because he gets love letters from Kim Jong-un, thinks that he's got great relations with North Korea while the missiles continue to fly. Uh, Iran is causing all sorts of trouble for Israel. Venezuela, uh, the Trump administration thought they could tump, topple the government in power, and they failed. And uh, now John Bolton, National Security Advisor, is trying to get us into another Vietnam War. And uh, Donald Trump is so obsessed with his Twitter account uh, between Russia, Venezuela, North Korea, Iran. There are hot spots erupting all over the world. And the U.S. is not, uh, not only not taking the lead in restoring world stability, but even worse, um, we've lost all of our NATO allies and all the others that we would depend upon. Uh, to help restore some order in the world. So the world is falling apart. Climate change, of course, isn't helping. That's helping advance destruction of species, flora and fauna, uh, over one million. And, and then on top of it all, we've got our own domestic constitutional crisis going on with Donald Trump and his corrupt administration refusing to respond to congressional oversight of any sort, uh, not turning over even one document to any of the congressional co uh, committees that exist that have a constitutional obligation of oversight over the executive branch. And uh, they just don't want anything to come out. Mueller report, don't want the public to see it. You know, Trump's tax returns to see how deeply embedded he is in, in debt to Russia or other foreign nations like Saudi Arabia. Nope, doesn't want to release that. So all of it's going to have to be resolved in the federal courts. So the world is burning and the emperor is playing his fiddle and we have got a fool because the emperor has no clothes. Talk about all of the fables 
coming to life in in real form in this modern day and age. This is going to be looked back upon as a very dark time in U.S. history and world politics. And I, uh, I got to tell you, it, it gets depressing. But I get hopeful. Uh, I met Mayor Pete last night and Chasson. They were here in Los Angeles on a fundraising tour. I got invited last minute to Gwyneth Paltrow's home in Bel Air uh, by my friends Jordan Cockerham and Eric Christensen. They invited me as their tag along, their three, and uh, met another young lawyer, Nico Braccolini. And, and the four of us went. And, you know, I'm a big Kamala Harris uh, lover and supporter. I've known her since she was the district attorney of San Francisco. She's smart. She's amazing. She'd be a great president. And um, and uh, I didn't know anything about Mayor Peter, the one I've been reading, but I got a chance to meet him last night and hear him speak to primarily what was a, a non-LGBT audience. I mean, there was a smattering of gays there. Um, uh, but mostly it was uh, Hollywood executives. And wow, he, he mesmerized him. He, he's so smart, he, just like Kamala. They're both so smart, so intelligent. And how nice it was to hear somebody address a crowd with something besides monosyllabic words, make America great again. It was nice to actually hear people talk about policy and about the world stage and about the world environment and about the economy and domestic issues. And it was coming out of an openly uh, gay candidate running for president. And I, I got to tell you, I felt so proud. It was so nice to meet him. And I don't know what's going to happen. The California primaries are next June. I have lots of time to decide who I'll vote for. But I have so many people that I admire in the race. Kamala, obviously, and now Mayor Pete. And, you know, I'm an old fan of Joe Biden's. And I don't know what I'm going to do when the vote comes. This is a quality problem. I just want to beat Donald Trump. That's what I care about. All right. So when we come back, we'll start out with octogenarian Dr. Don Kill Hefner talking about the founding of the radical fairies in the modern LGBT movement. Thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Gang, we're going to talk now with Dr. Don Kilhefner, who's here in studio with me. Welcome, Don. And welcome. It's great to see you, John. Good to see you, too. So I was telling uh, our audience uh, before you came into the studio that you never ask a lady or a gay man their actual age, but you've been doing this for 50 years, right? Yes. Yeah. I'm 81 years old, going on 82. 81. Uh, and this is the half century of my front lines work in the gay community here in Los Angeles and nationally. That is amazing. I know you're the founder of so many organizations, the Los Angeles LGBT Center, the Van Ness Recovery House. What am I missing? A radical Fairies. Radical Fairies, yes, of course. Uh, uh, gay Elder Circle, uh, Gay Men's Medicine Circle, uh, on and on and on. That, that okay. I just, I am not worthy. I am like bowing to you. I am bowing <laughs> on, to you. Come on, John. Come on, John. You have your contributions, I, I, too. Yes, but I got, start, I got started in 1979. So I think, I guess, 10 years after. And 10 years oh after. Oh, my God. Me. This is my 40-year anniversary. There you go. I'm aging right along I'm just along going to you. say, you've been around as long as I have. <laughs> yeah. 
The radical fairies is the, I, I think some of our listeners. What, what I know when some of the staff was in earlier, I mentioned radical fairies, and they kind of giggled like, "What's that?" And I said, "Radical oh. fairies was started in 1979 by Harry and and myself. Uh, we felt that it was time to have a redefinition of what it means to be gay." Right. That we're more than a sexual act. Right. That we're contributing something to society. And we held the first radical fairy gathering out in the Sonoran Desert, uh, east of uh, Tucson, uh, at a little uh, ashram. Uh, we sent out a notice. Uh, we thought maybe 50 people would show up. 200 gay men showed up. From oh, my all God. Over in the middle of the desert, desert in Arizona. Over, you got it. <laughs> from all over North America. So that's how and Coachella got started. That's amazing. <laughs> you got it. And it spread from there all over the world. There are wow. radical fairy sanctuaries in Australia, in France, uh, three of them here in the United States. And there are radical fairy gatherings happening all over uh, the world. And the basic idea is that we are not just uh, the opposite of heterosexual. We don't define ourselves within what heteronormative society No, that we're contributing something to society. Something beyond We're, we're, we're more than a blowjob. Yeah. We're contributing something to society. Yeah. And what we need to do is say, what is that contribution we're making to society? <laughs> right, right. And then we have our own distinct culture. and distinct uh, That's people. true as yeah. well. Yeah. That's true as well. E.O. Wilson, the dean of American scientists, says gay people are um, uh, the altruistic impulse in the human species. We carry something around idealism. Mm. Joan Roughgarden, who's an uh, evolutionary biologist at Stanford, says we carry the cooperative principle. Wherever we're found in whatever species, we're, we're facilitating cooperation. Mm. So that uh, radical fairies was based on the idea of redefining what it means to be gay. Wow, that's that's amazing, and so I guess and it's fun. And it is. And these radical fairy <laughs> gatherings where, where that happen around the world, uh, they're enjoyable. Right. It's gay men coming together and taking care of gay men. There's been a continuous tension between those who think we should assimilate and those who think we should have our own distinct identity. Mm-hmm. I know what side you identify. Uh, yes, but that started early on, right? Uh, it, it started with with Walt Whitman. Mm. It started. It has a uh, hundred fifty year oh my uh, history to it. And what what was the debate? Walt Whitman was a pretty radical fairy himself. Right? Yes, yeah. he was. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Uh, Whitman for the first time said there's a difference between heterosexual consciousness and gay consciousness. He called heterosexual consciousness amative consciousness. He called something else. He called co- uh, adhesive consciousness. What he called adhesive, he would refer to what are gay people today. Hmm. So, uh, very from the very, very beginning uh, of development of gay consciousness, Walt Whitman was central to it. Hmm, that's interesting. And who, who was the, the polar op- opposite of that? Uh, uh, Emerson. Uh, yeah, Emerson, you got it. Yeah, yeah the assimilationist. Oh, interesting, yeah. right. Yeah. And Emerson is an interesting individual because when he was in college, he fell in love with his college roommate, uh, a male, and uh, throughout his life, even though he married and, and everything like that, throughout his life, there was a gay part of him that he could never manifest. And that's why Whitman was such an embarrassment to Emerson because 
Yes. He was out in the open with it. That's it. So th- those of you listening, if you didn't know, we just outed Walt Women and uh, Ralph Waldo Emerson. <laughs> <laughs> well, we didn't do it for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> they send the literature. People <laughs> see it, can see it. Now, when the Radical Fairies got started, there was also uh, a, a group that tried to move uh, the Radical Fairies more to a centrist position, wasn't there? I don't, I don't think so. No. Okay. No, I don't uh, think so. Uh, it's always been radical. There are some fairies who just call themselves fairies, Yeah, and that's fine with women. With, with me, Harry and I designed it so it would be decentralized. Mm. We wanted we we did not want any responsibility for running the radical fairy. Mm-hmm. What we said, if it's going to work, it's going to happen uh, spontaneously out there with different radical fairy gatherings, and mm. that's what happened. And then was there an, an international gathering once a year? Uh, that uh, no, 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 no. But um, three two years ago in England, there was an international radical fairy gathering that over three hundred uh, radical. Furries uh, got together, and primarily from the Middle East, Greece, Italy, uh, the Mediterranean countries. Oh. So it's become a worldwide phenomenon. That that is amazing. Starting the Los Angeles LGBT Center, it was I think the first center in the world. Yes, and, it? and uh, is today the largest, the largest cent- center the of its kind in the world. But right. it got started because you and Morse Kite and. Basically, Mars Kite and myself, mm-hmm. and plus a lot of other people who came and went uh, as time went on. But the basic premise was two of them. Number one is to create a community where a community had never existed before. Mm-hmm. Uh, and secondly, if you have a community, the, the, the kind of base understanding of community is we take care of each other. Mm-hmm. And that's where the center came in. There had to be some place where we assumed responsibility for the welfare of each of us. And it was a house down in Crenshaw? Uh, down on Wilshire Boulevard, oh. not d- down the not other direction from where, from, from where we're sitting right now. <laughs> oh, interesting. Uh, and um, uh, it uh, came out grew out of gay liberation, mm-hmm. the gay liberation front here in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. Many times people are uh, more assimilationists are embarrassed by the idea that the center grew out of a very revolutionary organization. Yeah. But it's uh, that's where it came from. I think, I think most progress starts way out on the far left. Uh, <laughs> that's where it starts. Many, 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 many of them yeah, do. That's where it gets started. Yeah. Now, um, the very first center, um, was it uh, men and lesbians? Gay uh, men and lesbians uh, the center that? was open to everyone. Everybody. We said womb to tomb services. Didn't, it didn't matter. We had uh, transsexual, trans uh, uh, services, et cetera, et cetera. Hmm. Uh, we, it was an umbrella organization for the community. Nothing existed in the community at that time. Yeah, nothing. That- and that's why we decided we were going to provide all these services under one roof. Wow. Uh, because where else were they? They didn't exist. Was there hostility from police or politician um, or church? Or- uh, one... Uh, uh, when, when we hung the sign out in Wilshire Boulevard saying Gay Community Services Center, one um, leader in the community said, "Hun, you're going to have to take down that sign and we're all going to get arrested. And we said, nope. What gay liberation is about, we're here, we're queer, we're not going anywhere, and uh, we have as much right to be here as anybody else. The police never bothered us. That's amazing. Yeah. And back then, uh, homosexuality was criminalized in the state yes, of California. Yeah. We, we were organizing at a time we were sick, we were criminals and sinful. Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a fun party to me. Count me in. I'm down. <laughs> That's amazing. And I know back then, when the 
Advocate got started, and they right. started to send their n- newsletter through the U.S. mail. They got shot shut down as obscenity. Oh, that was yeah. a one incorporated newsletter. Oh, uh, that, one incorporated but, newsletter. But where where the Advocate comes in, it became our first national newspaper. Yes, located here, here in, in Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. That's right. And so the Los An- the activities of the Los Angeles Gay Liberation Front were covered. Uh, every every issue, and so what we were doing here in Los Angeles got spread nationally very very quickly. And for the 1970s, uh, Los Angeles was a center uh, of a center of the gay liberation movement. Here I tell country. people that all the time. People, people, I think people think of New York because of Stonewall, and they think of San Francisco because of Harvey Milk. But Los Angeles stands on its oh, own. Yeah, so much got started here. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, I know that. Uh, obviously, now when we're talking radical fairies got started here. Here, that one institute got started here. The Advocate got started here. The first gay political action committee, MECLA, got started here. I mean, People, there are historians who call uh, Los Angeles the cradle of of the gay community, the cradle of the gay community. Well, that would make you one of the first babes in the cradle. Uh, I, I certainly rocked the cradle. <laughs> <laughs> That's really amazing. So, uh, and then the Van Ness Recover House, they're coming on 40 years? Um, they're, they're, they're coming on to close to uh, 50 years. 50 year anniversary. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I sit on the board now, but I didn't know uh, when we got started. Uh, some, some members of AA came to Mars and I and said, you know, uh, gay people are discriminated against in in recovery houses in some AA meetings and we want something different and we says time to create a recovery house when we did that my god the you, first you were history. a busy bee you uh, i still am and you still are at 81 <laughs> you still are that's amazing we need to take a quick break here we're talking to dr don kill hefner area live in studio we'll be back after these messages here on channel q Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We are in studio with Dr. Don Kill Hefner, one of the founding fairies of the modern LGBT rights movement. It's such a pleasure having you here, Don. Uh, it's a pleasure being here, John. Enjoying our conversation. Yeah, I've always liked your work in the community. Oh, thank you very much. You write a lot. You author a lot. You, you do everything, I think, from essays to books. And, right. And I know one of your current works is um, about midlife crisis. And you're, you identify as a Jungian psycho- psychiatrist. Yes, I, psychologist. Psychologist, yes. So tell us a little bit about what you've been writing about. Uh, the last 20 years, um, uh, my focus of work in the, in the gay community here in Los Angeles and nationally has been intergenerational uh, cooperation and, and uh, consciousness. Um, I, I work with young people. I, I and some other people do a group called um, Father Hunger uh, for teens, late teens, 20-something, helping them make that transition into adulthood. Hmm. Uh, Roberto Blaine and I do a a community-based workshop 
uh, called um, Gay Men and Midlife Awakening, uh, Rites of Passage into the Second Half of Life. Hmm. And then I also do a lot of work with old people, elders, uh, workshops on how to become an elder and have created something called the Gay Elder Circle here in Los Angeles where hmm. uh, older men are assuming the role of elders in the, in, in the gay community. So I, I, I'm trying to develop intergenerational communication, intergenerational cooperation. Which is ideal because I, I, usually it's conflict. There's usually generational conflict. It can be. It can be, yeah. 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 yeah, and and, and I, I'm really curious about this because you know I'm I'm of a certain age. I I got a big birthday coming up this year. I'm not even going to tell you, but it starts with a six and ends with a zero. I got a big birthday coming up, and uh, I know that for me, the the men that were right in front of me mostly got wiped out in the epidemic. Mm-hmm. So I didn't really have any role models uh, that when I came out, I came out, and all of a sudden it's like here, here's an epidemic, and it's like, what are we doing? What are we doing? Well, I have a slightly different view on, on right. that. Uh, and in my writings, I express it. Uh, CDC suggests that maybe 10 to 12 of gay men, percent of gay men, have been affected by HIV. The rest have not. Mm-hmm. Where are those other gay men? They weren't wiped out. Mm-hmm. Why aren't they assuming responsibility in the community? Many of the people who were wiped out were our alphas, people who were in leadership positions. Mm-hmm. But uh, uh, I don't think a whole generation was wiped out. Yeah, well, where are they? That's a very good question. Maybe they were just fully assimilated either. In- uh, they're not assuming their responsibility. Yeah. And one of the problems we have with assimilation, uh, the you know the the end game of assimilation is that the gay community disappears and gay identity disappears because assimilation means you 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 absorb yourself right into the dominant culture. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to be part of a melting pot. I'd like to be just part of a chopped salad. Each little piece of the chopped salad having its uh, own a, identity. That's a great metaphor. That's a great metaphor. <laughs> that's a good metaphor. No, but that the other the other position is that we are contributing something to society, mm-hmm. and it's what are we contributing that becomes the important question. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if we assimilate, we lose all of that. Mm-hmm. Society loses all of that. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's my contention that uh, we play an important role in evolutionary biology. That we're contributing something. We keep reappearing generation after generation after generation. Why do we keep reappearing? Um, evolutionary bio- biology tells us anything that reappears like that over a thousand, ten thousand years. They're contributing something to society, and we need to look at what that is. And it's not disco music. <laughs> Although I love our music, too. <laughs> uh, a, a little bit of disco will go a long way. Yeah, a long way. You're writing a lot now, I think, about midlife crisis. What, yes. What's that about? Well, uh, um, uh, at midlife, something happens in our lives, just naturally. Um, uh, the first half of our lives, we it pretty much is about our ego development. Uh, we learn to tie our shoes. We learn to get an education. We learn to do all those things society tells us to do. Many people, when they reach midlife, uh, they say, you know, I'm not happy. There's something hollow in me. Uh, there's something that I'm not satisfied with. And they begin looking for something else. That's what I call the midlife awakening, where you become awake to a larger life than you've had before. The ego-centered life just doesn't do it. And you begin a life that has more spirit to it, mm-hmm. more soul work to it, has more contributing to others, has a, a, a much larger framework for 
for that life. And uh, if you get stuck in making that transition, that's when you have a crisis, when you get stuck. But if you don't get stuck, it would just happen naturally that you begin looking. The BMW isn't as important as maybe... Uh, helping somebody. Oh, that's amazing. I guess I'm in the middle of a midlife transition then. <laughs> uh, uh, that could be. Uh, that could be. I, even just doing this work in here the Valley. At yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, David Brooks has brought out a, the uh, op-ed writer for the New York Times has brought out a new book called The Second Mountain that talks all about this. So if you want to find out about this midlife awakening, um, David Brooks' The Second Mountain is, is excellent. It's not gay-centered, but it, it covers all the bases. Hmm. Do you have a, a website or a place where people can look and access all of your writings? Uh, no, I don't. I, I do that deliberately. If people want to get in contact with me, pick up the phone. I'm in the phone book. <laughs> you <laughs> or are. Come, or come and knock on my door. <laughs> come knock on my door. You see, kids, this is what we used to do before we had the internet. You'd actually have to pick up the phone and call. <laughs> yeah, or, or stop by. Oh, that, that's amazing. Yeah. Amazing. I think a lot of your work has been around gay men. Now, do you have have a an ally in the women's community no 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 i'm i'm the g and lgbtq you are the g i'm the g you are the g i'll let the l's and the others take care of their work i take care of the g work very 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 cool when you were a young man and coming who did you look up to as walt whitman walt whitman walt whitman got me through it why why uh because he he wrote about uh love between men he wrote about same-sex uh, sex. He wrote about people like you and me mm-hmm. in his poetry. And this was in the 1850s? 18... 55, I think 55. it was first published. Right after Lincoln got assassinated, basically. That's amazing yeah. to think about. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then there's been a whole series of people. I've had the good fortune to work uh, with Mars Kite here in Los Angeles. I've had the good luck to work with Harry Hay uh, in terms of organizing the Radical Ferry. So I've worked with some of the giants of, uh, of uh, gay history here in Los Angeles. Yes. Well, you are one of the giants in gay history here in Los Angeles, Don. You make me laugh. You, you are one of the giants. <laughs> Looking forward as the community now moves into this new millennium of work and with young millennials coming right behind us as the next generation are you hopeful uh, I'm hopeful, and I also said there's a lot of work. The Catholic Church says that we're objectively, morally uh, inferior, that, and that has to be challenged. There's gay liberation work to be done. Still, even uh, in 2019. Yeah. Of course, yeah. of course there is. And, and to pretend like uh, the battle is over is nonsense. Yep, I agree uh, with you. Uh, the Catholic Church says that we're intrinsically evil. That has to be confronted, just like the APA had to be confronted in the early 1970s. American Psychiatrist Association, right? Yes, yes. APA. Uh, we're done with our time, Dr. Don Kilhefner. Thank you for. I hope you'll come back. I'll come back, John. You know, just I'll, I'll have knock on my door and I'll be back. I, I got your phone number. I'll call you. <laughs> we'll get you to come back, gang. Thanks for tuning in here on Channel Q. When we come back, we'll be talking to Rand Martin, Martin, the first lobbyist on HIV and AIDS in the 80s, here on Channel Q. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Our next guest is in the embodiment of that. Yes, Rand, I am flattering you. Uh, we are. We just finished up with Dr. Don Gil Hefner, uh, one of the radical fairies, along with Harry Hay and Morris Kett, starting all this uh, mess back way back in the 50s and 60s. And now we're going to move forward to midlife. Rand, that would be you. We are joined by telephone up in Sacramento, California, by uh, Mr. Rand Martin. Rand, are you there with us? I am here, John. How are you? Good. I got you to giggle. I love when I make you giggle. That's awesome. <laughs> You've been making me laugh for years, John. I know. Well, I think we met in 1987 when the Life AIDS Lobby was getting started. And I told our listeners earlier before you joined us that you were a lobbyist for the uh, disability community, weren't you, initially? I lobbied for the association for what was then known as the Association for Retarded Citizens. Okay. Was on the ground in Sacramento on their behalf um, when life was formed. And it came out of the Lyndon LaRouche Initiative. Uh, for people who don't know, back in 1986, political extremist Lyndon LaRouche had a proposition, Prop 64, on the California ballot that would have quarantined HIV-positive people away from community and society. And I think the Life AIDS Lobby was born shortly thereafter. Correct, Rand? Well, the, the decision was made in, as people were pulling together to fight the initiative, that uh, once the initiative was defeated, um, the issues were still going to go on. There still needed to be a presence, especially in state capital. And out of that, life was born in June of 1986. June 1st was the day we opened our doors. Now, this was 30 years ago. So thirty. think back, Rand, to the, the younger version of you 30 years ago. You were uh, a young gay man, and I know you were very active in community theater. I, I remember even seeing you perform back then. And, uh, and suddenly you're handed uh, the worst epidemic to hit uh, the country ever and said, here, go write some laws that we need. What was, what was that like for you? I mean, were you out at the time? Oh, very, very out. Had been out for years, so it was, that was never an issue. It was certainly out around the Capitol. People knew that I was a, a gay man in, involved in legislative uh, legislative politics. Um, also involved in a lot of the local Sacramento um, gay and lesbian politics. Um, but I'll tell you, in response to your question, uh, it was a pretty heady experience. It was not for for a, for a young lobbyist, especially somebody who had not been on the ground for all that many years, um, to suddenly be thrust into the spotlight of um, one of the biggest policy issues uh, facing the California legislature uh, was pretty remarkable. Um, and uh, you know, my personal reaction to, to it all was was very positive um, from from a lobbying standpoint because it positioned me to be able to uh, to work more successfully in the in the subsequent years but yeah you um, were it, in your it, late 20s early 30s right around then weren't you Oh, don't date me Don <laughs> I'm not um, no, nobody calculate his age no. now nobody do the figure yeah no. But, I was in my early, I don't mind admitting, I was in my early 30s. So you're in your early 30s, and you're kind of uh, the young buck around Sacramento, and you're given this policy issue that involves death and dying, creating regulations around hospice, dealing with the radical fundamentalist right uh, from the religious communities, Democrats who are either brave or cowardly, Republicans who are either brave or cowardly. And I, I tell people, back then, we actually had moderate Republicans that would, would help on HIV and AIDS. 
Yeah, I, I think back to uh, to Dr. Uh, William Falante, who was a member of the assembly from Northern California, um, who very early on got it relative to the appropriate policy issues um, around HIV and AIDS, um, and was very helpful, um, especially in a Republican caucus in, in the Senate and the assembly, um, who were mostly people who subscribed to some of the theories that were behind the LaRouche Initiative. Wouldn't mind if it just all went away, didn't want to talk about sex, um, really didn't want to talk about uh, about gay men and what gay men might do together. Um, and so they either hid from it or they adopted the LaRouche, Bill Dannemeyer approach to things and were very aggressive against the gay community in those in those early years. So it was... It was very healthy to have people like Dr. Falanti um, and a handful of other uh, moderate Republicans um, stepping into the fray and, and helping lead the charge. Now, back I then, think it was, th- there, were yeah, no out, there were no out LGBT legislators, right? So you became the face of LGBT people in the Capitol. Yeah, absolutely. No question about it. There were a handful of openly gay um, staff members. Um, uh, Stan Haddon, who worked for Senator Roberti, the pro tem at the time, was the most prominent. Um, but uh, they they operated as staff, so they did not have much carte blanche to, to do what they wanted to do. Um, it was really, really fell to me and to the members of the Life Lobby um, to present the unvarnished truth about the HIV epidemic and, and what the appropriate solutions were and, and to get people to talk honestly about it. And, and of course, 10 years earlier, homosexuality was criminalized in the state of California. So, I mean, I think I, I remember because I was there with you that it was pretty common for people to express that gay, gay men and lesbians were pedophiles, predators, uh, e- evil, uh, something to be disposed of. I mean, it was not a, always a very friendly reception for us. Well, and when you think about some of the folks on the Republican side especially, but there were a few Democrats who did this too. Uh, your, your point is, is exactly right. They, they didn't understand gay, gay and lesbian people. Um, they had believed the, uh, the narrative about how evil we could be and that we were just out there for our, our own pleasure, just uh, regardless of what that might do to society as a whole. And now they were laying on top of all that, the, the health consequences of gay, uh, being gay. Um, and, of course, there were people like Senator John Doolittle, also from Northern California, um, who were espousing that we were just contributing to uh, uh, the public health crisis, spreading it around the uh, around the community at large, and not just uh, not just people who are gay, um, and and cause, causing this epidemic to be worse than it was, which is really a, a tragic perspective um, that too many people in the legislature um, embraced. Uh, but at the same time, we have to acknowledge that the that the Democrats, um, especially people like Willie Brown and Art Agnos and John Vasconcelos, all uh, members of the Assembly at the time, were real heroes when it came to our community and, and the people um, who were suffering from HIV at the time um, Rand, hold without that, any hold knowledge that. about what was causing it and how to, how to treat it or how to cure it. Rand, hold that thought. we got to go to a quick okay. break. We're going to be right back. We're talking to Rand Martin, former executive director of the Life AIDS Lobby in the 1980s. Thank you for listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours 
and great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We are talking to Rand Martin, who was the executive director of the Life AIDS Lobby during the 1980s, when a new uh, flourishing and burgeoning LGBT community had just gotten off the ground and were suddenly hit with a major epidemic. Welcome back, Rand, to the show. Thank you. So, Rand, back in those Life AIDS Lobby days, um, I, I was the Southern California co-chair, and I remember at one point, we had over 100 organizations that were part of this incredible coalition of LGBT and HIV organizations all across California that would sit at a common table for three days and hash out AIDS policy to create the laws through the California legislature. And it was the most diverse and active and passionate group of people I think I've ever participated with. Uh, you remember those days. Remember Connie Norman, of course. I, I remember a whole lot of people, and I just I, I remember more than anything watching in in right there playing out in front of my eyes uh, the political maturation of the gay and lesbian community. Um, we were forced by so many dynamics that we had no control over. Um, the biggest one being HIV um, to to grow up. And, and to engage politically and to engage in a sophisticated way so that we could maximize our, our impact. And we did, and we did it very quickly. Um, I was particularly proud of the, the hundred or so people that were on our board of directors. I always laugh about how many people we had on our board, but it made for very robust um, debates and I think delivered the kinds of policies that really affected in a positive way the, the progress of the response to the epidemic. You know, I, I tell people back in those days, we didn't have the luxury of uh, dissent, at least not for very long. We could disagree, but then we had to get back to work. And the Life AIDS lobby table, we had, uh, at least in my experience, a, a lot of gay men and lesbians working together uh, on, on, a, on a project uh, that would end up sustaining them for lifetimes of activism that would follow that. And uh, everything from the, all the ACT UP chapters in the state of California at the table to all of the Log Cabin Republican Cups sitting at the same table and coming from such disparate parts of the community and being, like you said, forced to work together and grow up because we were handling an epidemic. We didn't have the time to like fight, well, although we had some pretty heated arguments. So I remember that. Well, and I, I, your observation is very astute, and you know I, I really do um, agree with what you're saying. Um, I think the the bottom line is that we would spend two days, as you indicated, um, really, in, in some ways, ripping into each other on policy matters, you know, in a diplomatic way. But we had we came from very firm perspectives on what we sh how we should be responding. But when push came to shove, at the end of those two days, we reached consensus on the way um, to, to respond to the various policy issues. And I think, you know, there was enormous pride um, by all of us uh, involved in life that we were able to, um, to get to that point and, and deliver that message to, uh, to the legislature and to the governor. Unfortunately, the governor was not terribly receptive at the time since it was the very conservative George Dugmajan, but uh, certainly the legislature was very responsive. That's so true. I remember the way we would adjourn those meetings. We would ask everyone around the table to give the name or names of the persons 
that they had lost since the last time we met three months earlier, and that would often take an hour to an hour and a half just to get all the names out. It was such a moving moment at the way we would end each meeting. And an important reminder to us all that we were there for a singular purpose. You know, one of the, one of the things that we always always had to resist in the legislature during those first few years was being branded uh, a gay and lesbian organization. We we were made up certainly of mostly gay and lesbian folks, but that was not our purpose, and we were there to deal with with the AIDS epidemic um, and and focus on it exclusively. Um, and I think we were very good at doing that. Now, I, Rand, I know that looking at our stats here at Channel Q, we've got uh, young millennials all over the country listening in right now. And needless to say, when you and I got started on this path of activism, we were probably no much older or younger than they are today. And uh, I mean, what, what would your message be to the young LGBT people out there listening that are thinking, what's, what's my purpose? What am I supposed to do in this life? Where, where am I supposed to be called? Well, I think everybody is called to their to their own mission, um, and some of it has to do with gay and lesbian issues, and some of it is just informed by gay and lesbian issues. Um, but I think the bottom line to to all young people is the political fight is not over. It's really not going to be over in in their lifetimes, let alone yours and mine, um, because there are just too many people, even in the state of California, who still look down on us, who still consider us you know, quote unquote, um, evil. Um, and, and that we need to continue to, uh, in a sophisticated and mature, um, and honorable way, continue to fight, to fight those fights. I, I look at some of the legislation that's pending today, which is so different than it was 20 years ago, but they're still looking at areas where young gay and lesbian and queer and transgender people are, are, um, marginalized, especially young people. Um, and we forget that there are insidious ways of continuing to clamp down on, on young gay and lesbian people. And we, ne- we need to keep fighting back on that so that it does not um, perpetuate. And we also have to keep in mind that there are a lot of health issues that we still, we still face. I mean, one of the biggest frustrations I know in the health, public health community is uh, young gay men, um, especially in these days where um, where you have PrEP and you have PEP and you have treatment for HIV um, that's very effective, um, it takes some of the urgency away from, from being smart about how we live our lives and how we conduct ourselves with other people. Um, and we need to remind not just the young people, but even some of the older people. Yeah, I was going to say, John Duran, guilty. Guilty as charged. I was not going to name name John. Name name is John. Rand, our time (laughs) has come to an end. My dear old friend, thank you so much for calling in and joining us and sharing your life experiences. You're an inspiration, I think, to many, many of us. And uh, love to your husband, Gene. And I hope you'll come back and visit us again. I'd love to. Thanks so much for having me. It's good to talk to you, John. Good to talk to you. Listening to Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. (sighs) Spring is a time of renewal, so why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. You play John Lennon every time you want to make me vulnerable. Thank you for that, Jason. It's a tactic I do. Yeah. I know. I know. We are now in studio with Paolo Morillo, is the correct way to say it. Murillo, if you're uh, Anglo-Saxon, <laughs> from WeHo Times. Welcome, Paolo. Hello. Welcome, everyone. So I know, I was. Uh, we were talking during the break. I remember first reading your column in Fab Magazine. And what was the name of your column? It was called Love You Mean It. Um, it was in Fab uh, newspaper and it was pretty trashy. Yeah, it was. It was. It was a trashy little throwaway bar yes. rag, right? But your column was so profound because you were a very—I don't even know what your age was. You were a very young, young, Ish. youngish gay gay club kid at the time, and you wrote in such a raw, emotional way about your own thoughts and feelings about being gay, about being in the clubs, about rejection, about isolation. I I, I was glued to reading your column every time it came out. This is actually before. Blogging. It's back when you know columnists were cool. It was back when like Sex in the City was huge, and uh, I just wanted my picture in the paper. <laughs> That's how it started, and um, I was just sharing stories, and I wasn't really thinking about the reader. I was kind of like you know putting things out there, and I thought if I'm honest about my experience, one person is bound to relate to what I was writing, and actually a lot of people related. A lot of people didn't like what I was writing. When you have an opinion, when you um, paint yourself in not the best light, right? There's going to be some well, and you were very out about it. You were very out about unsafe sex you were very out about drug use you were very out about the bitchy little fights you and your friends were getting into yes <laughs> I, see what I remember and this was like what 20 years ago wow, or, yeah, wow. I remember reading these stories you're amazing right you obviously had an impact on me <laughs> I would look forward to your stories the crazy years West Hollywood yes Yeah. and you had just moved into West Hollywood no I, I, the first time I came into West Hollywood was like 91 okay I uh, I took a bus from Inglewood I'm a scrappy little Inglewood little <laughs> I, I love that <laughs> so and uh, yes I, I took a bus to 212 on La Brea and I got off on Santa Monica and uh, and La Brea actually and and walked all the way from La Brea to Boys oh, yes. Town. And oh back my, then, that's a two mile walk. Back then, if you were seen anywhere between La Brea, and, you were a hooker. <laughs> and Doheny, yeah, you were a hooker and you were gay, guaranteed gay, guaranteed. That's, that's true. Yes. Yeah. And this, so that was your first entree into gay I, life. Yes, well, and I, I walked into Circus of Books, which closed. Okay, it, it did. I actually gave them a commendation when yes, they closed. I was there. Yeah, that's right, you were there, you were there. <laughs> so it's 91, and, and Bill Clinton's running for president, and you're this new little club kid stumbling into WeHo. Yeah, I was an arena little cha-cha queen at the time. <laughs> I love the arena. First, <laughs> that was my first gay bar. The arena, arena was a great place. Arena Jean La Pietra, yes, yeah. and Circus Disco, yeah. 18, 18, they had 18 and older night on Fridays. Mm-hmm. So, so I was always, we would go to the gay and lesbian center. They had like a, a, like a youth rap, rap group on, um, on, I believe it was Highland. And uh, I forget the street, but it's a building in the corner, nothing like what you have now. It's like amazing, the growth. Right. And we would have, have like the little rap groups and then go to arena dancing afterwards. So, you know, 
experiencing gay life and you know being from Inglewood I went to Inglewood High I mean once you go I mean you can live in Inglewood but if you go to Inglewood High like that's like the real deal it's, it's pretty scary <laughs> being gay and skinny and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah and Inglewood High was primarily Latino and African American yes. kids right uh, majority black actually. majority yeah. black school yeah. alright so here you are you're a young little 18, 19, 20 year old in West Hollywood and you hit upon the party scene yes Yeah. and uh, then at some point the party turn south well you know you turn 21 actually i wasn't 21 when i took my first drink obviously yeah. uh but you know you basically you come of age you you come you come into the gay community and someone hands you a cocktail and basically says welcome you have arrived you know so drinking mm. and of course drinking leads to drugging and you know i was a party boy i like to have fun i liked energy i liked you know i liked after hours i loved to dance until my back hurt there was nothing more glamorous and <laughs> more like a uh, poetic than like walking out of an after hours like it's dark and people are going to church and you're just like the sun's coming up sweat. and yes. you're still got last yeah, night's outfit yeah, on yeah, exactly <laughs> walking down santa monica <laughs> That must have been a pretty sight, Santa Monica Boulevard. Yes. The sun comes up over Santa Monica Boulevard. Yeah. They should have included you in a verse the or a spike, lyric. The spike used to have after hours, and I remember just seeing the shirtless guys all drenched and sweating, just cracked out, and um, that was a Sunday morning. Those were the days. Sunday. Those yes. were the days. <laughs> they sure were. So I think that you're very public about it. At some point, you you bottomed out on the alcohol Oh, my and God, drugs. yes. It was so not about partying or having fun or being out with your friends. It was dark. Yeah. It was dark. It was... Uh, I mean, so, you know, we're talking about crystal meth because, you know, drinking led to, you know, cocaine and cocaine led to crystal meth. And crystal meth gave me energy. It gave me energy to dance all night long and it kept me up for three days. So I was like, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. And I was never out to destroy myself. I was out to have fun and, you know, just live it up and, and kind of make up for like a shitty Oops, sorry. That's all right. Childhood. <laughs> that word you can get away with. There are certain words you cannot get away okay. with on the air. That one's okay. That was bound to happen in this session. Um, so so I was entitled. I didn't know that at the time, but I was entitled. I'm like, the world owes me. I want to have fun, and all I care about is fun, fun, fun. And like towards the end, it wasn't about fun, obviously. What did it become? Uh, very dark. Um, it was not about you know going dancing anymore. Like uh, for a while, our friends we would humor each other and 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 start off drugging, and then we'd go to bars, and then we'd like vanish, and then like maybe run into each other at a bad house or whatever. And uh, and it was not. I mean, like addiction, like physical addiction, the self betrayal of no more, no more, and you're back at it, and no more, no more, and that gravitational pull of like, how am I here again? three days later mm -hmm. like the calendar like the, the days are blacked out like you, like they don't exist it would be Thursday night Friday night and then like you come to like Sunday night and it's like what happened to you know to the weekend it was gone so so it was dark and I wanted to stop and I didn't know how to stop I had like I was a communist my picture was in the in, in the papers and I didn't have um, the courage uh, to just basically raise my hand and ask for help mm. so so I bought him basically I was at, at my apartment and I had a panic attack and I thought I was having a heart attack mm. I thought I was having like like a seat like something was happening my fingers froze I felt all tingly and um and I thought I'm dying mm. you know I didn't sign up to die from this you know it was about fun and this isn't fun anymore so I was like I'm gonna die tonight I'm gonna die I'm gonna get help but it ends tonight mm. and that's the last time I did crystal math and how long ago was that oh my god 12 years uh Jan I'm gonna <laughs> I'm a New Year's baby. January 12th, 10th is uh, my my um, my sober anniversary. Wow. And it's my first time getting sober. Something worked for me. I don't know what it was, but 
Yeah, and what was it? Twelve step meetings, friends, um, or basically, I you know I went into I, I landed in the hospital because I thought I'm dying. I dialed nine one one. You know, I thought they were gonna send an ambulance to send the police. <laughs> Cause, <laughs> cause Oops! I said, <laughs> I said crystal mass. So you know, the police came in to make sure that I wasn't dangerous, and uh, and uh, they took me into Cedar Sinai, and I just could not stop crying. Mm. I was bawling because I'm like, this is it it's over like i need help and i didn't know how to get help and the whole idea of like rehab like seemed impossible to me you know i mean this is 2007 keep in mind in 2007 that's the year that britney spears went bonkers and shaved her head that's the year that anna nicole smith uh, died of a drug overdose that's the year that um that um amy winehouse came out with a song where it was popular in the u.s that i you know i wanted you know they tried to make me go to rehab but i said no 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 so uh, 2007, I just didn't think that rehab was possible for me. I, I couldn't afford it, you know. And I was in the hospital, and this woman, her, Jane, she's a nurse. Um, she gave me a list of rehabs that that were, you know, uh, funded by the, the county and the Van Ness Recovery House was oh. on top of that list. And Don Kilhafner, the founder of the Van Ness Recovery House, was my first guest. Know, <laughs> Isn't that amazing? amazing? See how we did that, everyone? We just tied the beginning of the show <laughs> to the end of the show. Wow. So you went to the Van Ness House. I went to the Van Ness Recovery House, I'm thinking 28 days, because Sandra Bullock had that movie, 28 Days. Right. <laughs> so I thought, you know. I love how there's a pop culture <laughs> reference to all parts of your life. I love that. 28 Days. I thought, they're going to fix me in 28 Days. I was not signing up to, like, you know, I was like, I'm not going to, you know, I'm going to continue drinking. I'm going to stop doing drugs. It'll be fine. And and it just did not work out that way, obviously, you know. Yeah. I stayed. People started dying, and it scared me. I was in the Venice Recovery House, and I saw people die, yeah. you know. And that's when I was like, this is no joke, you know. So initially, I was in there for 28 days. It's a 90-day program. And I was like, 90 days? I'm like, oh, my God, you know. I can't. I just can't. Um, I stayed, you know. And my reasons for being sober then have evolved my reasons for being sober now are different you know and and yeah. uh it like the vanish recovery has it saved my life and so many so yes. many others it's such a great and amazing place when we come back from commercial i want to talk a bit about fentanyl and what's oh, yeah. happening with fentanyl and cocaine and meth and the impact it's having on gay people so cool. and then we'll talk about weho times because uh oh, you, yeah, you're, yeah. Your, your publication <laughs> is so amazing that's right that's gang right. we're gonna go to commercial break thanks for tuning in to uh, sidebar with john duran here on channel q after the end of a good fight you deserve an ice cold reward Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. and Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. You're really going for the jugular with me, Jason. I can see clearly now. I don't remember who sang it, but it's a beautiful, beautiful song. I believe it's Johnny Nash. Johnny Nash. Yeah. I can see clearly now. Awesome. We are in studio with Paolo Murillo, Paolo Murillo, a.k.a. Uh, the editor of the WeHo Times. And thank you for spending your morning with us, Paolo. Thank you for having me. <laughs> where, so where we left off, you bottomed out, you got sober. Uh, and then did you keep writing after that? Uh, it was weird because, I, you know, like I 
what's my voice? My voice was snarky. My voice was, you know, like, like bitchy. Yeah, it was bitchy. Cut a bitch down. <laughs> yeah. You know, so you get sober and, and you like, I did not sign up to be a better person. I just wanted sobriety. Right. I thought I could still be a shitty person and just be sober. And it just doesn't work that way. Right. You know, yeah. you learn tools, uh, you hear stories, you start to hurt, you know, you start mm, to suffer. feel feelings. Yes. Right. Feelings like we're like the worst. No, like, that's feelings what I were was... like treasures. You buried them. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> that sounds like Kathy Watt from the recovery house. She's been on the show a couple of times. Actually. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you lost that voice, but you ended up bringing forth a new voice. Well, that voice is still in there. It still lingers. And, and uh, especially with the personal stuff, I mean, I can still be uppity. I can still, you know, keep it real, but I'm, I don't come for people like I, I, like I used to. I don't, my intentions are different this time yeah. around. For people listening in, uh, 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 Paolo is the editor and publisher of WeHo Times, right? WeHoTimes.com. And yes. that's your thing. That's your new voice. My in new essence. voice, yes. Yeah. It's hard. It's a lot of work, you guys. <laughs> don't do it. <laughs> but it's where you landed and where you ended up. That is so it's amazing. It's, it, to do it for yourself, it's just it's just awesome. I yeah. love it. Yeah. Yes. You have been running a recent series of stories around fentanyl because fentanyl has become a major issue in the gay community. Maybe you can tell people a little bit about what the issue is. Well, the issue is people are dying from fentanyl. Uh, cocaine, crystal meth is laced with fentanyl, and it's scary. Like, you die in, what, 45 seconds? Yep, yep, yep. 45 seconds? It's, um, it's definitely... It's definitely going to be a, a, a huge issue with uh, gay pride coming up and gay season and summer and pool parties and people doing drugs and not really um, not really knowing what they're taking. Look, when I was doing drugs, it was already it's scary to me to think back because I would do total strangers. I would do something. whatever they put yes. in front of my nose. Total strangers. I didn't question what that could have been yeah. sugar. For you don't, you don't know what's in it. Yeah. You don't you don't know what it's laced with and and the, this thought that you know that that drugs, especially like to me, like cocaine was like harm reduction. Cocaine yeah. was a lesser evil of crystal meth. You uh, know? A lesser form. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yes. So did cocaine kept you up for three hours? You know, crystal meth kept you up for three days. Right. So this idea that you're doing cocaine and that it could kill you, it's it's flabbergasting. But that's what we're seeing. We're seeing overdoses in West Hollywood and other parts. And it's uh, fentanyl being laced in crystal and in and coke. And people don't realize it when they're doing it. They just uh -huh. think they're doing blow like they would any other weekend. And they're not waking up. So the Center and AIDS Project Los Angeles now have testing strips available. Yes. Yeah. And that's actually just in time for gay pride, I think, where yes, people yes, can yes. test their drugs. That's the harm reduction to make sure it's safe for consumption. See, you know, like the thing is, like, we need to call it for what it is. It's death reduction. When I think of yeah. harm reduction, I think you're going to break a leg, you're going right, to, you know, you're right, going right. to break an arm, you know, like this is death reduction. You die from this. Like there's no, there's no ifs, ands, or buts. Like this is death reduction. Harm reduction, like back when I was going through it was, you know, drink Gatorade, which to this day I cannot touch. It's so gross to me. <laughs> drink Gatorade, eat a banana, tell your friends where you're going. Like that was harm reduction. Today, like you have to do this. Otherwise, you're going to die. Yeah. Period. Yeah. You know, cocaine, crystal meth, it doesn't matter, you know, and uh, and it's really scary for the people that, that aren't addicts, that are just like, you know, casual users, weekend, weekend users. warriors. Right, yes. yeah, yeah. You know, um, people that are experimenting, like, that could take you out. And it's not even like, like, it's happened. We've seen it. It's happened. It's happening. So, uh, so death reduction. I think we need to call it for what it is. You yeah, know? and just in time, because I mean, people are listening to this right now in 23 cities across the country. Uh -huh. It's Pride Month coming up. You know, Apollo and I, uh, we're, we're sober. We Neither of us do the party like we used to. Uh -huh. But if you're going to party, just get some testing strips. I mean, that, that's the message, I think. 
You know, um, so the testing strips, the way they work is you, you dilute it in water, you dip a stick into it, and, it, and it, it's kind of like a pregnancy test. Right. You know, it try. comes up a certain color. It's yeah, got fentanyl like in one, it. One line or two lines, right. uh, positive, negative. You know, have you ever heard of the term uh, carpet farming? No. <laughs> I'm about to learn something. What is so that? So carpet farmers are basically tweakers that, like, uh, they're tapping the carpet looking for residue, oh. crystal meth. Oh, my God. Uh, I've never heard that. And I, I have to be honest. I've done my share of carpet farming in my days, you know. <laughs> so so for me, like, I think what needs to be addressed is like, one of the concerns that I have is when you have people tapping the carpet to get residue, are they, are they going to do drop uh, you know a chunk of their stash into, into this water, water and test it but i guess they can they can drink it probably yeah i guess There's i guess if you wanted to you could still take it that way yeah. right, rather than through the nose so <laughs> listen to us we're trying to be efficient about the illegal <laughs> drug use <laughs> it's you know like that the thing is like we're not trying to get you sober we're not trying to get you into, into we just don't want you to die we don't want you to die yeah you know, that, that we don't, is the and message. that's that's the thing. It's like, uh, it, like the center and the people that are involved in and this, you know, this program to get people to just test your drugs and make sure it's not going to kill you. Like this isn't about, you know, like it's not an intervention. We're not trying to get you into twelve steps. We're not trying to ruin your party. Like if you need to party, do your thing, boo. But please, like just test it. Yeah. Make sure it's not going to kill you. Yeah, very, very true. So we know we got a lot of really young millennials listening right now. You are an inspirational story because you went from this 19-year-old kid on the bus from Inglewood <laughs> to the editor of the WeHo Times and had a big journey along the way. What would you tell a young person who's out in a small town listening in today? Oh, my God. What would I tell them in regards to what? Life. Life's life, journey. Life is a journey, and it's all about evolution. And it's, you know, like at some point you need to grow up and you need to, you know, basically orchestra was phase two what's phase three it's phases you know you grow up and you evolve and and don't get stuck don't get stuck in one place um don't do drugs <laughs> <laughs> don't do drugs but if you're going to do drugs be safe and be smart about it and you know and uh th there's definitely more resources today th than there was when i was out there doing my thing you know yeah, yeah. um when i was out there there was like no like i didn't know that you could quit you know like there was like it was hopeless and helpless and and uh so so look if you're if you have a problem you know do your research it's everything's out there you know uh i don't know i guess i would tell you you're gonna be fine and especially today in today's day and age it's it's a little easier to be gay you know yeah we got a guy running for president who happens who to I be i just saw last night at the <laughs> abbey oh very cool yeah that was amazing yeah did you get a chance to talk to him i didn't get a chance to talk to him but i got a ton of pictures of him and Great. uh he's a rock star i i'm really i love that he's doing it i hope you know he makes it to the very end i hope he becomes president that would be amazing Wouldn't he's smart be, he is very smart and if he doesn't become president maybe secretary of health and human services or there's other cabinet positions the, the fact that they're on the cover of times yes. and and the, the the headline is you know the, the first the first couple first first family first family yeah that I mean, that's a win right there. He won. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's amazing. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming by. It was amazing. Sidebar. We should do this again. I would love to down. have you back. And yes. I, I think the challenge right now is either you get an interview with Mayor Pete for WeHo Times <laughs> or I get him in studio. <laughs> we need to have a competition. We'll, right. get, we'll get let's, him. Let's uh, compete here. <laughs> All right. Short break, gang. You're listening to a Sidebar with John Duran here on Channel Q. Odyssey is 
giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. Well, gang, what an incredible uh, day it's been here on Sidebar with John Duran, and uh, what an incredible group of guests. Uh, Dr. Don Kilhefner leading up the charge, uh, founder, co-founder of the Radical Fairies, uh, one of the first, or actually I think the first, LGBT organizations in the nation, and uh, co-founder of the LGBT Center here in L.A., and co-founder of the Van Ness Recovery House. Uh, followed by Rand Martin, who started life out as young lobbyist for the disabled and ended up becoming the only face in the Capitol uh, for LGBT people at a time when there were no out-elected LGBT people sitting in the Sacramento Capitol. And uh, then followed finally by Paulo Morillo, who came out of Inglewood High and took a bus to get into West Hollywood to find his community and find his people and then the struggles he went through and ending up at the Van Ness Recovery House that Don Kilhefner had founded 30 years earlier. It's, uh, it's just great to see the intergenerational connections between uh, all of our warriors. And if you're listening in, you too are a warrior. And as all three of them, I said, I think said, the work is not done. It is not done just because we have the right to marry or the right to serve in the military, unless you're trans and we're going to fight for our trans brothers and sisters to get back in the military. The work is not done. And uh, Paolo mentioned as he was leaving that he had a chance to meet Mayor Pete, and I, I had a chance to meet Mayor Pete Buttigieg uh, last night uh, at, uh, believe it or not, Gwyneth Paltrow's home. It was a, she's got a beautiful living room, by the way. We were so impressed with the feng shui-ness of her living room. But um, got a chance to meet him and Chasson, and um, what an incredible, thoughtful uh, presentation he made. He's so intelligent. He's so smart, just like Kamala Harris. They're both really smart, but it, to have an out LGBT candidate for president who is smart and served in the military and uh, speaks seven languages and is thoughtful compared to the current occupant uh, in the White House. And I don't know if you saw, but uh, when Trump was in the Florida panhandle two days ago, he mocked Mayor Pete. Uh, that Mayor Pete would be weak uh, and could not imagine Mayor Pete up against uh, Chi of China in negotiations. Well, um, I got news for Donald Trump. You see, a weak person is somebody who, who makes fun of those with disabilities. Uh, a weak person is somebody who bullies those around him when they don't follow direction, even when the direction is twisted and unsound. Uh, a weak person uh, attacks minorities, uh, attacks immigrants, attacks women, attacks those that are different uh, because of their own perceived inferiority complex. That is the definition of a, a weak person. And in just uh, three years, Donald Trump, you have taken America from occupying the central space on the global space, uh, global uh, stage, to a place where um, 
let's face it, we've lost our allies in Europe. The whole world is watching us and wondering when is America going to come back and be back at its graceful place in world history. And it will happen, sir, when you are removed from office, whether through impeachment, which appears unlikely, uh, but uh, probably by the American people who are tired of the con man sideshow that you've been putting on for us. You think it's a television show? It's not. It's our, it's our lives. It is our lives and our future generations' lives that are at stake, and we will do everything we can to make sure you are removed from the White House in November 2020, and who knows who will replace you? Maybe a woman, maybe a gay guy, but whoever it is, he or she will not be weak, sir. They will be strong. I want to thank you for tuning in to Sidebar with John Duran. I look forward to speaking to you all and interviewing some more incredible, fabulous guests. And thank you for tuning in, listening to us here on Channel Q.